Welcome to Esray Pod with Amy Quinn and Joe Walsh. This week, we welcome Mike Sedano and Nancy Sabino, owners of the late great showroom cinemas of Asbury Park and Bradley Beach. Mike and Nancy tell us about the origins of the showroom, how fun it was to run a theater, how they built and expanded a thriving business, and how the COVID crisis affected that business. Welcome, Mike and Nancy. The matters addressed in this podcast represent my own personal views and opinions concerning issues affecting the citizens of Asbury Park in my capacity as the deputy mayor of the city of Asbury Park. They do not necessarily represent the official position of the city or the official position of the Asbury Park City Council as a whole. I am developing and implementing this podcast in an effort to keep citizens informed. However, this is not an official City of Asbury Park podcast and does not, and I repeat, does not represent the official position of the city or the governing body. Welcome, listeners. This is Amy from Asbury Pod with Joe. Um, And we're here with very, very special guests who are already busting our balls about the show. Um, But I have to tell you both. Well, I'm going to say two things. One, I'm on a juice fast. Day three, where I just drink juices. So I'm not my fabulous bubbly self because I'm starving to death. Um, is this on purpose or is this punitive? Yeah, it's on why? purpose. You know what? I put on the COVID-19 and, you know, I just eat and drink all day. So so I needed to, to, to reset. Um, but I say all that because Mike and Nancy, the showroom is one of the reasons this podcast exists. So you may be episode 42, but, <laughs> but for the record, you're the reason for episode one. This is I, absolutely true. Why yeah. So... I went to, was it, I think it was Christina Banyan's 40th birthday at the Watermark. Heather and I went and got drank too much, which I'm sure is not surprising to you guys. Met Rita and Joe to see the Emily, Emily Dickinson. Dickinson movie, whose name I'm drawing a blank. What was it called? Wild Nights with Emily. Mm-hmm. Fell asleep because I had drank too much walked over to Taka to try to sober up and we were like, we should do a podcast. Yeah. Well, that's, that's a very clear line of, of creativity. Absolutely. Well, we're so glad to have been your, uh, (laughs) your muse. (laughs) Yeah. I don't think I've ever been anybody's muse. Yeah, Amy, you did sleep that. That was a great movie. You should see it again since you didn't I did, see it the I first have time. I, did, I do believe we actually came back to the showroom to see it again yeah. um, when we were sober. Um, but we want to and, thank and you guys you, so you much for coming on. paid again. Huh? I think we paid again, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, great. Yeah, yeah. There you go. <laughs> I have to hear it. There you go. <laughs> um, okay, so we're going to start. Listen, we're going to just ask some questions. I, I want to, and I just want to take one second and thank you both. You know, when I sent that email, I know how raw this has been, or I, or I don't know how raw it's been, but I have some concept of how rough uh, and raw this has been. You were, you were probably the second big name to close up. The first was... And I'm drawing a blank on the restaurant that used to be fish. Modine's. Modine's. Um, 
then you guys were number two. And I remember when it went public, you both made similar com comments to me in separate circumstances about what it's like to be one of the first to close during COVID. Um, so we're going to talk about that. But first, we have to, of course, talk about um, what brought you both to Asbury Park. We, uh, we had uh, just lost a client up north, and uh, it was our big client. So we had a chance to change what we had done in our lives. And uh, Mike had always wanted to live at the beach. So uh, when he said to me, would you think about living somewhere down the shore? I said, there's only one place to be from. If you're going to be from the Jersey Shore, you should be from Asbury Park. And he said, really? I said, let's take a look. So uh, we rented at the Steinbeck and uh, it was kind of rough and tumble back in 2007, as you know. So uh, the one thing they didn't have in the downtown was an entertainment venue. So uh, Mike said, yeah, how about we just start a little movie theater? And I said, okay, we know nothing about movie theaters. He said, how hard could it be, you know? So uh, we rented a storefront and tried to see if we could generate an audience. And that was the start of, you know, feeling a little like a fraud uh, running a movie theater that had 50 seats and they were deck chairs. But uh, nobody knew that you were a movie theater. And you guys were where Catsbury is now. Yes. 708. Yeah. Right. And uh, that was our, our experimental uh, storefront, which... It was, it was all a grand experiment. I mean, because that's what Asbury Park was back then. Asbury Park was still an experiment. I mean, half the downtown was still boarded up and, and there were tumbleweeds floating down the street. And, um, you know, the, every, other, every other storefront was, was closed. So... We just couldn't believe that there were, I mean, with, within this community of artists, we couldn't believe that there was no place to professionally see a movie. And um, when we asked everybody around town, so where do you go see a movie? They said, well, we go out to the highway and see it. That just didn't seem right. So uh, especially, especially in a town that Walter Reed made his headquarters uh, back in the day. So uh that just didn't make any sense to us. So we figured just like, just like a lot of creatives, we figured, what have we, what have we got to lose? Um, and uh, we didn't know if, if there wasn't a movie theater because there were no people or uh, to come see a movie or whether it just, nobody ever really started it. So um, what happened after two or two, two and a half years is that we found out people were dying for a movie theater. Um, I think most of us, you know, we're going to, to the, to the movie theater in Red Bank on White Street. That's where, like, if there was, you know, even this, you know, any movie that was artsy or had LGBTQ or anything, you, you made the, 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 the trip to Red Bank and you saw it there. So when you guys came to Esbury, it was like, Oh my God, we don't have to drive. 28 minutes to Red Bank to see this movie and back. Oh, yeah, we, we don't have to leave the island. 
Thank <laughs> God. Um, yeah. So when you say Esbury it, it, was an experiment, I think that's such a good, such a profound way to put it. And, I, and for years, uh, Jen Hampton and I would always call it the island of misfit toys. You know that you came here out of bankruptcy or breakup because it was cheap and nobody was going to ask you a lot of questions about where you came from. That's right. And and ironically, you mentioned that Jen Hampton, who is a very dear friend um, and, and collaborator, was one of the very first people we met here in Asbury Park. She was moving crybaby. Uh, from where Gene and Scott are upstairs to the new place at Parlor Gallery. So, um, and, and you know, Asbury, it was like within the first couple of weeks, we met everybody who was anybody that you needed to talk to to find out anything about anything. So right. it was it was kind of like, you know, <laughs> yeah. as as Taka said, you know, this was the place that still had opportunity. It wasn't finished yet. Mm. And we liked that a lot because, you know, coming from up north Jersey, uh, this was so different. You know, everything was within walking and uh, you knew everybody on the street. It was it was kind of cool. We thought we'd have trouble finding friends <laughs> being in your 50s. You know, do you move someplace and all of a sudden you're you're not able to find people to be friends with because everybody's got their friends. But here everybody was from somewhere else. So it was kind of cool. I think, you know, that's the one thing about Asbury Park. Um, it's so small in the off season. You know, everyone you get to know everyone pretty quickly. And then eventually we see them at your house at the holiday gathering. <laughs> you know, everyone, you know, within town is like, Oh, oh I, know sure. all, I know all of these people. Right? Well, sure. All you have to do is go get a cup of coffee at America's cup. And <laughs> everyone walks you know, in. I mean, 30 people come in who, you know, and you start having conversations with and, and they hook you up with other people. Um, if, if you need anything. So it was, um, it was a fun time. Um, we didn't, we didn't realize, you know, it's like anything in life. You didn't realize what you were involved in until you, you, <laughs> you reflect get the, on it. The rug pulled out from under you. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. So, you know, we took a chance, we opened the screen and then we, we grew the audience. Um, we moved across the street in 2012 because that empty building had been sitting there for four years, five years. And um, Mike kept talking to uh, Leo, Leo, who owned the building, which was a haberdashery store, if you remember that. Years ago. No, <laughs> and uh, it and, uh, you know, we moved across the street, so it wasn't a big hop. But then we so got you. Well, I was just going to say one of the great things that I loved about uh, the showroom is you took one, you took chances on movies, right? So, right. So I, I'm going to tell a couple of stories on that, but the other is, I don't know if you guys remember when Stephen Frias did a LGBTQ film festival. Yeah. Right. And so he calls me and says, will you pick a movie? And I was like, well, I can pick bound, which I talk about in this podcast a lot, which was a very profound movie to me, or I could do something like a little risque. And he, and you know, remember Stephen Frias. I mean, he, he was, he, you he was could great. go very, very risque with Stephen Frias. Yeah. Um, and we pick, and I picked this movie bandaged, which was this kind of avant-garde. It was like a sub 
uh, a dominate, dominatrix sub movie. Anyway, it was a good movie, but it definitely was risque. And I have to tell you, when I picked that movie, and Nancy and I are in the same book club, it was like such an exposing experience, like to be the person who picks the movies that other people see. Mm. So I always wondered um, when you're like, when you picked like Cabin by the Lake, which was another like very risque movie. Um, is that, did you, do you feel the same way I do? Like, oh, I'm picking something that is personal in some way and people are going to comment on it. Yeah, it was definitely different. Um, the trouble was you never quite knew what that was going to expose. I mean, sometimes people didn't feel the way you did at all. And you knew you had this great movie that nobody was coming to. And other times there were movies that, you know, were throwaways. I mean, it was it was rated 40 on on uh, Rotten Tomatoes. I was appalled. It was a 40. I was absolutely embarrassed and people loved it. They came. It was a mother daughter movie. We played it around Christmas and it was a it was a killer. So it was very fluky as to what worked. One of the one of the best examples of of cure of the ability to curate not being an AMC um, and the ability to curate was um, back in the day distributors used to send us DVDs and as screeners and our nights would be filled with at home checking out these movies. And one night we put this weird sounding movie into the DVD player. I said, Oh, this will never, I said, we'll be, we'll be done with this in three minutes. Um, it was called the girl with the dragon tattoo. <laughs> and I just said, all right, there's no way this is going to. So we put it on and we watched, we were just hooked. I mean, here's a foreign language Swedish movie. Okay. That at the end of it, we, we didn't say a thing to each other during the movie at the end of it. I don't think we've ever done this where we just turned our heads and looked at each other and said, we have to call the distributor tomorrow to get this movie. This is incredible. And we called them and it, it was a distributor out of Chicago. And he said, huh, Asbury Park, that's in New Jersey, right? I says, yeah, he says, yeah, he says, yeah, that's down the shore. He says, all right, I'll tell you, yeah, go ahead, play it. I said, well, you know, we've only got 50 seats. He goes, 50 seats. Okay. Well, all right. He says, I, I know about Asbury Park. You're kind of funky down there. He says, why go ahead, play it. We broke every record we had ever had at up to that point because we were the only movie theater playing the Swedish version of Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Um, and people just couldn't get enough of it. I mean, there were literally lines around the little storefront. And uh, I don't know, we must have had it for, I don't know, seven weeks, five weeks, something like that. I love the women would come in and say, oh, I love it. It's so dark. <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember when you had that. I don't think I was able to see it. And it's a phenomenon. It's, I mean, it holds up. It's still an absolute well, yeah, phenomenal yeah. movie. I mean, you took, it became a phenomenon. I, I saw it. You took, you, take, um, you took some risks on um, some foreign language movies. I saw the, um, the Iranian vampire movie you had, uh, A Girl Walks Home Alone I, at Night. I saw that with you, Joe. Uh, yeah, and, 
Yeah, Ed. Uh, and when the podcast is recording normally, uh, our friend Ed, who we call unpaid intern Ed, his wife is Persian. We brought she brought her whole family on the uh, you know. So we had all these Farsi speakers in the theater. <laughs> You know, the day we saw it, it was great because they were talking back to the screen like that. You know, those subtitles are incorrect or something. It was just a really, it was a good movie. It was a fun and it wasn't available anywhere else. You would have had, you know, maybe they ran for like two minutes at the Angelica in the city. Is that even still around? Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, we were, we were always very proud when uh, New Yorkers would come in and claim us to be the Angelica of the shore. Um, that, uh, like the first time we heard that, we heard anybody mention that we were, oh my God, we're the Angelica of the shore. That is, that's, that's high praise. So that was pretty cool. The same thing happened with Red Bank. Um, for a while, they would never allow us with the distributor to play a movie first. If we played it first, they refused it. Then after a while, we found out that they would allow playing the same movie at the same day and date it mm. was called. So we could open it at the same time they were open it, which obviously made us, you know, rise in, in estimation because they all of a sudden recognized that we were a force to be reckoned with. And of course, Dan Jacobson put us, you know, head to head with them in the paper. So <laughs> it always looked <laughs> like we were head to head. And is there a community among like movie theaters like that? Like Red Bank initially is like, no, 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 no. And then and then kind of helps a little bit. Is, is it cutthroatish or is it a sense of community among movie theaters that th there's no. enough for us all to rise? Okay. Yeah. All right. That's a quick <laughs> answer on that one. No. <laughs> dog eat dog. No, it's it's. I mean, there is a community of um, independent theater owners uh, and independent theaters, but it's a numbers game. It's a numbers game. And and, you know, you it, the, the whole the whole uh, uh, object is butts and seats. I mean, that's that's the whole the whole Megillah. So you right, but you had, you had some standards like you know Porky's Four was coming out. You guys weren't going to run it. Right? <laughs> no. no, no, we weren't running Porky's Four. <laughs> um, uh, we did we did get up there though. I mean there there were there were a number of distributors who who worked with us. I mean we were playing uh, you know Boyhood. We were playing Lady Bird. We were playing you know uh, the big movies. And as a matter of fact, sometimes. We were playing the movies before they got critical acclaim. And then all of a sudden, you know, AMC with 16 screens, they would put it in their screen. So I feel like Moonlit was one of those, too. You guys Moonlit had Moonlit one, yeah, early on absolutely. and was like, oh, that was. Yeah, that was. Great. Yeah, that was one of the big ones. I will also say um, I want to thank you both for always texting me when there was an LGBTQ movie. <laughs> Yeah, that was I, much appreciated. Our well, audience figured, was such. Yeah, we figured that if you got the word, it would spread from there. So or Heather, or Heather. Yeah. Um, and I'll and I'm going to tell one story about that. So I went to see uh, the Miseducation of Cameron Post, which was yeah. this lesbian coming out story. So Heather and I go over to a showroom. We see the movie. It's actually a great movie. It was a book, and then the 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 writer from the book. Um, turned it into a screenplay. She was great. Also gay came out in the nineties. 
we're sitting across from Taka and one of the stars from the movie, a guy named John Gallagher, who's a very pretty well-known star, had a house in Ocean Grove that he summered in. So he had gone to see the movie at the showroom and then gone to Taka. So Heather and I are sitting at the bar like, God, that looks like the guy from the movie we just saw. That looks like the guy from the movie we just saw. So I Twitter and say, oh, we just saw this great movie with this actor, blah, 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 blah. He private messages me and says, you know, I think you're across the bar from me at Taka right now. <laughs> I, I kid you not, true story. I kid you not that this guy was sitting at Taka. So um, I don't know. That, that's one of my favorite. That's one of my favorite stories about the showroom. But one question I wanted to ask you guys, like you described picking movies by watching them, like you watching DVDs before you, like, how do you go about picking a movie? Oh, it's well, changed. Yeah, yeah. That, that was early on. Then it was just a question of reading about the movies that were coming out, trying to figure out if they matched our audience and then looking at, you know, where they might be playing, who actually was the director, who, you know, who's the distributor, because certain distributors carry certain movies and you knew if it was a strand movie, it had a high, you know, homosexual content to it most of the time. And, and Janice films were always art films, you know, they were the Vincent Van Gogh's and yeah, but and those were the movies films. that didn't make any money. Yeah. <laughs> okay. so, so those I are mean, the ones I pushed for. And yeah. Mike would say, well, thank you, Nancy. Much appreciated. <laughs> well, I, I mean, if if you saw us on Fridays and Mondays, you would think that it was it was cats and dogs. I mean, it was it was never it was never very smooth. It was always but it was always challenging. It was always uh, uh, inspiring. And then um, there were movies that people recommended. Uh, some guy was a, a Formula One a race car uh Affectionado enthusiast. And he said, you got to get this movie Senna. And I knew nothing about the topic, nothing about, yeah, about the, the driver. And God, there was a guy just the other day that walked away from a crash primarily because of the, the safety that was instituted after Senna died in a crash. It was mm-hmm. remarkable. Um, we had another movie about uh, the guy who was at Notre Dame, the, um, Oh, the, yeah. The uh, priest. Uh, Rudy. Herzog. No. no. <laughs> Hesburgh. 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 <laughs> and uh, he was he was in Notre Dame for so many years that everybody knew him because their kids had gone to Notre Dame and he was such an icon. And this woman said to me, if you play this, I guarantee you I'll sell the theater out every single night. And she did. People just came out of nowhere to see this movie. It was so heartwarming and it was such a great biopic that unless you went to Notre Dame, you wouldn't know about it. But if you went to Notre Dame, you were diehard. You had to come see this movie with us. But to, but to answer your question, I mean, specifically because it's, trust me, we've heard the question throughout the years. It's the, the, the operation of a theater has changed tremendously in just the, the 12 years, 11 years that we've been doing it. I mean, yeah, it used to be distributors would send us screeners and we would sit and watch the movie and we would know yes or no whether we were going to play it or go after it. But the minute that, um, uh, I guess, streaming started catching on, 
they they stopped sending you screeners and would send you a link. And then you'd have no choice but to sit and watch it on your computer or your iPad. And we pretty much stopped watching screeners because the effect of watching a movie um, on your computer just, you know, put a gun to my head already. So we, we stopped doing that. And then we just started really doing research and reading uh, about it. And I mean, just as powerful as the internet is for streaming, uh, the internet's as, you know, just as powerful for research. So we would get a jump on, you know, movies that were coming out three and six months ahead of us. Um, and it's kind of like retail. Uh, you, you're always programming your, your fall in the summer. You're always programming your winter in the summer. So we would always be programming and watching out for movies, um, uh, that were going to be award winners or up for awards, um, way ahead of when we were able to see it. And nine times out of 10 towards the end, we never got to see a movie ahead of time. It was, it was a rare it was a rare occasion that we actually got to do that. And our audiences liked documentaries. They liked shorts. They liked, you know, definitely off, off color kinds of movies. So we had that ability off to beat. know offbeat. Well, they liked off color too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Risque, as Amy Risque. would say. Yeah. <laughs> well, I got to tell one story. So me and Heather go see this cabin by the lake, which was this really, really brilliant movie, very risque with, gay men. And I think there might maybe a couple of orgies. I don't, I don't remember completely now, but it was a really beautiful, beautiful movie. So I send, I tell my mom, I'm like, Oh, you should go see this movie. So my mom and Joyce go see the movie. And I kid you not, Nancy, you're like, you guys should not go see this movie. You guys should not go see this movie. And they didn't go see the movie. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Some of them were, yeah. Some of them were a bit out there. I mean, we had one movie called Melancholia. I don't know if you oh. saw that one. It was about a meteor coming like, and That's a Kristen Dunst. Yes. 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 <laughs> yeah. And the movie was horrific. I mean, it, it it was it was disturbing. It was so strange. One woman came out and she harangued us and said, you should give me my money back. This movie is terrible. Right. I never would have come to see it if I knew what it was about. And we just kept saying to her, lady, you return a book if you don't like it. You can't do that here. She, right. was, she was vehement. Though. You cannot unsee that. Yeah. Right. It can't that was, be unseen. That was that was. Definitely disturbing, but uh, but we we like to push the envelope a little bit, and then like I said, people just you know they couldn't find documentaries anywhere else. Now there are whole channels that you know give you that on uh, on Netflix. So we we were happy to be that place for people to come, and and it brought a different character of people into Asbury Park. I mean, these were people who just liked good movies and. They would come early. They would bring their own refreshments. They would go maybe for dinner or maybe go to a lunch beforehand. And it was just so nice to see people coming into town who 10 years before were just, you know, they would call and say, you know, is it safe kind of thing? So they got to be real, you know, pioneers. People always ask us, well, how do you know who your audience is? And, and I could say, well, I'll tell you who our audience is. 
They read the New York Times. They listen to NPR. They go to museums. They go to uh, uh, first run uh, uh, Broadway shows. These are the people who want to come and see these movies. And, and they know about the movies before they come. Um, they've read up on them. And like Nancy said, a lot of times they, they would be asking us to get a particular movie. Yeah, I think that's true. I think I had read about every movie I had seen at the showroom prior uh, to yeah. come. Right. You know. And most people did. And then we had this one time the New York Times came to us and said, you know, oh, yeah. we have a group of movies we'd like to play. And then we have the directors and the, the New York Times has a has a series called uh, Op Docs and it's on their website. I I must look at Op Docs all the time because I just think they are such well done Shorts. short documentaries about a particular subject. Every time I look at them, I go, oh, why didn't I produce that that documentary? All of a sudden, out of the clear blue sky, I get an email from uh, this woman who is the head of publicity and promotion or something for the New York Times. And it's kind of like one of those things, you know, hi, I'm so-and-so from the New York Times. It's like, yeah, oh, hi, I'm Bruce Springsteen. You know, I, I, yeah. I, I yeah, you're Bruce <laughs> And, it's, and, and I said, you want to do what? And she wanted to have a special event at the showroom in Asbury Park. They, they had definitely in Asbury Park, because that was also part of the cachet, that they were giving away these, this special promotion to some of their top tier readers to come see a night of their documentaries on a big screen and uh, do a Q&A with the documentary producers. And we sold out the first show at eight o'clock. And they said, well, can we can we put a second show on? And I said, you know, <laughs> yeah, of course. And we got to keep all the money. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And they said, and you get to keep all the money. Okay. Because we're doing it as a promotion and a thank you for our readers. And we just think it's great to, that you're here. I said, how did you find us? And they said, Oh, we knew about you. Oh no, we knew about you. So we talked them into having a Q and a in between the two different shows. So the first group saw the Q&A after they saw all the movies. The second group saw the Q&A before they saw all the movies. And it worked flawlessly. They even they were worried that, you know, how can you do a Q&A before an audience sees a movie? And it was it was beautiful. It really went well. And we were so happy. We just couldn't wait for them to come back. Of course, they never did. Well, they never did. <laughs> The times is still fickle, yeah, <laughs> but mean. that's the way things happened. <laughs> and can I guess? I, and I don't. And I know we've been friends for years, but I, what what careers did you have prior to this? Uh, we used to produce business meetings for large corporations. They would pick a place. They wanted to go to Orlando. They were going to have. Well, they were launching a new product. Right. They were going to bring 1,500 people in and they wanted to set up a ballroom and they wanted to have a screen and they wanted to have a podium and people talk. Think of think of the national conventions and what they look like. OK, so they would hire us and we would arrange everything. So when 
The people came in to give their speeches and talk to their audience. Everything was all set up. They'd walk on stage, they'd give their production and there'd be PowerPoint or video behind them. And we would we would also produce a lot of corporate videos. I mean, we produced hundreds of videos on how to how to operate a copy machine, um, <laughs> how to uh, how seventy uh, fifth anniversary of general reinsurance. Right. Uh, <laughs> how how do you manufacture a vaccine? OK, well, we would produce how you manufactured a vaccine. All those shots you see of the new coronavirus vaccine. Mike was in places I that was, did that. There were clean rooms, hundreds of clean rooms and and manufacturing plants and watching everything from bottles to candy bars to, I mean, they'll come off the manufacturing plant and we would, we would produce uh, videos for them. So, I mean, we did, we, we did a lot of creative uh, project, project uh, production way before movie theater. I mean, movie, movies, wasn't wasn't even on the horizon. Um, but, but for these for these shows, we would set up a little screening room sometimes where they would take their people in, maybe fifty, maybe oh, no, hundred people. A, it wasn't a little. It was a huge well, screening. We would go to Las Vegas yeah. and take over seven ballrooms and put in like twelve screens and lasers and a set. And I mean, literally, it's the Democratic National Convention plus. Uh, you know, a, a rock concert. I mean, that's what it was. We would have. Uh, we worked with Train once. Yeah. And they just happened to be in the same town where this this meeting was happening. So they said, oh, sure, we'd do it. Fifty thousand dollars. Yeah, we could do it for one night like that. Nicest guys. They shook everybody's hand. <laughs> well, I mean, it was part of it was it was part of the project where, you know, I'd be sitting in the office and. <clears throat> Working, excuse me, working on the meeting and all of a sudden the client would call and say, um, I'm adding something to your plate. And I'd go, OK, sure. What else is new? And he says, no, 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 you're going to have to manage this rock and roll group for our entertainment night because our eleven hundred sales reps need to be entertained. And we'd go, OK, have you ever heard of the group train? I said, like train train the group train yeah well they're coming in and we <clears throat> we bought them for the night and they're going to do a private concert for our sales reps but you <laughs> you have to put the whole concert on okay and i went okay then um sure and he said here's the number of their uh tour manager uh get it done and so that's what we would do so this was like, you know, coming into town. <clears throat> so put a movie theater together. <laughs> it was it was a small screening room, basically. You know, how hard could that be? But it was it was constant. You know, that was the, the part we we hadn't anticipated. So the challenge, the, challenge <clears throat> the dilemma is that it can was 24 seven. You know, can I fact check one thing that I always hear about movie theaters is that you don't make your money necessarily from people coming in the theaters. You make it from people buying the snacks and the drinks at the theater. Out, is that true? Cut out, the word, cut out the word necessarily, and you have that correct. Okay. Huh. As, as so that we, is a, that's a fact. 
the house never loses. The, the distributor make all the money. They, they make their 25, 45%. 25. <laughs> we started 35%. We ended up at 55%. So you make nothing on the ticket pricing. So if you don't sell concessions and so sell people, a lot so of all them. All those people who walked in day after day and didn't buy anything, <gasps> they were lost leaders. Wow, that's interesting. And in every other state except for New Jersey and Pennsylvania, you get to sell beer and wine. So that's how your movie theaters were making some of their money because they would have, you know, beer on tap. They'd have apple, hard apple cider. They'd have oh, they'd have all the craft beers. They'd have all the local wines. Go any other place and have a drink, and you can you can do that. But uh, we didn't have the eight or nine hundred thousand dollars for a liquor license. Here yeah, no, they're they're hitting a mil- they're hitting a million these days. Although there is some legislation right now, Ada from Ada's just asked me about it. I mean, it's stalled, but there is legislation to now allow beer, wine, and cider for BYOB. Yeah, uh, the, but the people fighting that are the people who spend a million dollars on a liquor license. Well, yeah, I was going to say the NRA is not going to allow that. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 that's, that's National Restaurant Association. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so I have to swing us a little bit to COVID because we're talking, you know, to businesses about COVID or trying to focus on um, the effect of businesses on COVID and, and you know, what, what, what's to do about that? Well, COVID's pretty much shutting down the movie business as an exhibition business for at least another year. Mm-hmm. There's no way it's going to come back in terms of having an audience in movie theaters. Uh, We know people now who are open and nobody is coming. So until the vaccine is really caught on. It'll be it'll be summer. Summer or you start to see people back in movie theaters. If fall 21. Yeah, I'm sorry. Fall 21, summer 21. Yeah, yeah, summer 21. If if they can convince people to get vaccinated. Because there's a there's a lot of people I I know I've already talked to who said that they're not going to get vaccinated. Um, my my dentist today just told me that she she's not going to be vaccinated until she's sure that um, there are no side effects and there are and that it works. And she said right now there's too many vaccines out there. You don't know what they're doing. So. So for and movies, you know, it's going to be it's going to be a while. Can, so and I, I tell this story a lot, kind of how the city went from clo- being one of the first places to close down um, prior to the governor closing people down because we didn't I didn't see people social distancing that Saturday night of mm, Friday the 13th, March 14th. We didn't we, I was out and people were not social distancing and friends of mine were sending me pictures of themselves at bars, not social distancing. So just leading up to the shutdown, did you guys, um, I mean, Joe and I had a podcast a, a couple months before the before it where I was like, I'm terrified and, and you still thought it might be the flu. It wasn't going to be. Yeah, I didn't have the right data. I was looking at, I had just read an article. It seems like, oh, it looks like it's going to be as lethal as the flu, which may not be so bad. But I, it, and I did, I came back uh, it, like six months later. I was like, I, you know, I'm here to confess that I was a hundred percent wrong on that day uh, about that, you know, cause it's what 10 times is worse, right? It's so much more. So the early so data. What were you guys it, seeing in March? Well, 
<laughs> well, there's a funny story with that. Um, we were on a cruise. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes, that's a very good face to express that. Um, 7th to the 14th. We were on a cruise from the March 7th to March 14th. Um, and you could see things just it shutting down. It was it was phenomenal what happened. I mean, we went on the cruise and they and they were taking extra precaution with uh, uh, when you were boarding with taking your temperature and, you know, signing waivers and, and all that kind of thing. We said, huh, well, that's pretty interesting. They're being very uh, protective. That's that's real good. Uh, first day of the cruise, no problem. Second day of the cruise, no problem. Third day of the cruise, we went to the dining room to eat and like all the utensils and napkins were not on the table anymore because that's that's how you got you. And they stopped you from uh, Going serving to yourself. And I looked at one of the, the, the uh, helpers there and I said, what's going on here? And they, he says, oh, announcement to be made, announcement to be made. And then sure enough, you go back to your room and there's this uh, big, uh, long letter that uh, says that Apparently, the uh, COVID um, is uh, much, um, much more lethal than we thought, and we have to take uh, specific precautions to keep you all safe. I mean, they started closing down rooms and gambling and the game bars. room. We went to the game room just to play a game together, and they said, "Oh no, you can't congregate. You can't congregate. You can't touch the same games that other people have touched." So, so, so by the time every we came night, back, every yeah. night we would go back to the cabin and all there was was news about what was going on. And we were going, wow, this is this is getting pretty bad. So we would text. We would um, email everybody back home and they'd say, yeah, it's getting it's, you know, business is starting to, to drop off. There's nobody coming into the to the theater. So when we got back. Um, we, we came into the theater that weekend, um, like March 14th, 15th, and there was nobody, there was nobody in the theater, uh, customers. And we were going, what's going on? And they said, we had never had yeah, movies where nobody came to a screening, right. you know, maybe one or two people, but we, we never had people not show up at all. So we all just looked at each other and said, we probably should shut down so for a while. So on March 16th, we had, a, we had a staff meeting and I just said, uh, guys, we're just going to have to close for a couple of weeks because that's, because that's what everybody was doing. They were, they were closing for a couple of weeks. Okay. So we figured, all right, so we'll close for a couple of weeks. It'll be a, a forced vacation. Here we are. Nine months later. Nine months later. Joe, you're on mute. Yeah. 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 So uh, I'm, I'm sorry. I turned my mute on because my heat kicked on for a second. Um, yeah. I, at the beginning, I, it never occurred to us that we'd be still here nine months later. You know, there was a sense that, you know, six weeks and then we're, you know, crush it down. And then maybe that was unrealistic, but each week the data got worse and worse and worse. And um, so even if I think, you know, we're, we're working with them, um, shared universe podcast people and one of their audio guys who's sort of sitting in with us here is in next door to the Clearview uh, in red bank and oh. they're open but i don't know if they have any people in it so even if they're open 
I'm not sure if customers are going to come out anytime soon, regardless of capacity limits. You can say open for 100%. I don't know if anyone shows up in the same numbers. Right. They're, they're not. Uh, we, we still um, get the numbers from the theaters that are open. And, and we talk to, we haven't talked to anybody from the Basie yet, um, who's now running the uh, uh, White, Street. White Street theaters. Um, but I see, the, I see the numbers that they do on the, on the weekends and six people, 10 people. Um, for a whole weekend. And, and we know other uh, theater owners who are open. And I say to him, what are you doing open? He said, well, now I'm kind of stuck in a loop. Okay. He says, because now I, if, if I'm, I'm barely making money to um, stay open. So if you're barely making money, what are you doing open? I mean, it just doesn't, it, he said, but I can't, I can't not be open now. And I said, well, okay, but we still, we still go back to the argument that if you're only giving us the capability to have 25% capacity, and yet in order to get that 25% capacity, we have to spend 100% of expenses because that's what we'd have to do. There, there is no, there is no way to to have 25% capacity and 25% expenses. I mean, your expenses go up to 100% no matter what. Once, once you turn the lights on, um, I said we, we've got, we have nine months of debt to begin with, let alone run a treadmill of debt. Um, and the last thing we wanted to do was open and then have to close again, which right. would have felt and looked even worse. I mean, last night, NJ.com, NJ News, they had Rayla on and he was talking about how awful it is and how they're struggling and how they've lost $100,000. And I mean, Mike can tell you the uh, the tax collector doesn't want to hear that. <laughs> no, you can you can call up and beg, you know, but they they say, no, uh, you don't pay. We put a lien against well, you. You have a lien on your building, sir. So um, uh, you better you only have until December or something to pay up. And I said, well, I'm not going to have any more money in December than I have now. And he said, well, OK, you have a lien on your building. So we're going to use this opportunity to say if there's anybody out there who would like to have a movie theater <laughs> space on the 700 block in Asbury Park, um, we are looking to sell both that and Bradley Beach. Or if you don't want to run a movie theater, you just want to use it for development purposes. Come on in. Talk to us. Uh, and we should mention for our listeners that you you not only have a theater in Asbury that you had undergone you know huge renovations for the theater in Bradley Beach a year yes. or two prior to this. Uh, I'm sorry. A year or two prior to the to the pandemic. 2019, a year. We yeah, were about a year prior. Months. Yeah, seven yeah, months. We were only open seven months there before we had a close down. And Mike, you said something interesting to me when, you know, when the announcement came out that you guys, you know, were closing that, um, you know, you were you were getting out. You said, forget that we can't get people in there. There's not going to be content available for. So so even if I can get people into the theater, there's not going to be anything to play for well, some period. of time. Yeah, I mean, that's a that's a. 
that's very broad. I mean, it's there's there's not going to be anything to play that people are going to want to come to see. Okay, I mean, if you look at what um, uh, White Street is playing, they're playing all the Netflix movies. Okay, I mean, so Netflix is taking this opportunity to. Um, release movies that they've bought or produced into theaters as well as on Netflix. So um, the only the only caveat with Netflix is that we just don't want you to report the numbers of people who come in to see it. That we're a private company, we don't we don't need to report those numbers. So. Um, See, That's no, what no. a lot of theaters are doing because Netflix is one of the few companies that's actually still pushing out content. And now they're pushing out, pushing it out day and date to um, theaters as well as, um, as well as uh, Netflix. I mean, look what, look what's going to happen on December 25th. I mean, on December 25th, Warner Brothers is releasing its multi-million dollar movie, Wonder Woman, 1984, okay, that has been, that, that people have been dying to go, wait, waiting for that movie to come out. They're, right? They're, <laughs> waiting for that movie to come out. There you go. But are you going to see it in a theater or are you going to see it on Netflix? I'm going to see it on Netflix. And, and I have the same issue with restaurants. You know, everybody, you know, Heather and I probably went out to eat twice a week for 10 years. And when summer, you know, when in the summer, we, we really went back to that routine because you could sit outside. And then even in the in the fall, early fall, we still felt like, you know what, we could we'll roll the dice and, and go inside. Um, and then you know, now, now COVID's everywhere. And so we're not, you know, I, and, and I think you, everyone knows I live next door to Watermark and, and similar to what you were saying, you guys were saying, he rehired his staff and then had to let his staff go. And, right. and Russell's staff are family to him. This isn't, right. you know, right. putting an ad in the paper. These people are truly like family to him and, and watching, you know, him go through that was, it's, 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 oh, it's painful. painful. Yeah. Painful. And don't get us wrong. I mean, you know, Safety is, you know, number one. I mean, the last thing in the world we want to do is have any of our staff who is also family, okay, to us because they've been with us for forever. And, um, and our customers who are loyal customers, um, we, we don't want anybody at risk. But from a business standpoint, it, it, it just doesn't make any sense. I mean, you can't, you can't tout this 25% capacity thing as the, the answer to being open because it's really not. You're really not. Um, right. You can't have people in. And it's a tough route for the politicians. I mean, I listen to Murphy all the time and he's trying to do his best, but he got heckled in Red Bank when he was out with his family. Some woman came over to him while he was sitting there with his kids eating. And she goes, you know, Governor, you're a dick. And she just was like pie eyed. But, you know, that's what you do. That's what you have to put up with in order to keep people safe. We said the same thing. What if somebody comes into the theater and doesn't want to wear a mask? 
you want to have your people having to fight with people. It just it just didn't seem worth it in the long run. So but you're right about I mean, you know, we need I mean, we're a business that makes its business on makes its money on getting crowds of people together in a room for two hours to laugh and cry and applaud and, and breathe, breathe the same air, engage with each other. And I mean, you've you've been in our theater and you've seen the, the crowds in the lobby. I mean, you know, they they like to hang out and talk and uh, uh, talk about the movie and then, you know, react and talk to us about the movie. And you, you just don't have you 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 don't have that engagement in times of an airborne virus. Um, and. People are saying this kind of conversation is going to go on. I mean, I just joined the League of Women Voters and they did all their voter forums as Zoom meetings. And I was had, in one of those voter. Exactly. <laughs> and they had twice to three times the population watching than ever came out to a live forum. So when you have that kind of number gain, why would you go back to live? I mean, in that situation, it's it's more it's more beneficial to both sides to have people engaged in what they can see that they wouldn't have necessarily come out for before. And that's what, and that's what this does. That's what Warner brothers is trying now. Okay. They put tenant out, which was their big movie that everybody, you know, was waiting, was for. waiting for nobody came. Okay. So they lost bundles of money. So now they've got, Wonder Woman on the shelf that they spent over two hundred million dollars on Mission Impossible and what and is coming out next. Well, yeah, but I mean, but Wonder Woman is sitting there, and they're they're they dated it for December twenty fifth. But is anybody gonna be wanting to come to a movie theater to with their kids? see it? Okay, right. so what? So now they're trying it. Now they're trying it by saying, all right, look, we'll still support film exhibition because we believe in movie theaters, but we really need to make some money on this. So we're going to release it on, on Netflix as, is it Netflix or just, Oh no. Uh, Disney uh, Plus. No, I, th I think it's HBO max because AT&T now owns Warner brothers. So AT&T also owns HBO max. So they're going to put it on HBO Max the same day, Christmas, that um, uh, is going to be in theaters. Now, how many times can you see it on HBO Max, right? You just, you right. just be watching it over and over again. So um, you and it's such a different experience on streaming. I mean, listen, oh. what I I'm going to see it on streaming, right? Because I, I, you know, I live with a 77 year old woman that I can't give COVID to, but um, it's, I, it's, it's not an escapable experience. Whereas in see, the theater, you used okay. to be able to escape from the outside right. world. I, I didn't check my phone cause that was rude. Um, and I could escape into a movie and, and, and that is one of the really defining differences in, in streaming services, mm -hmm. at least in my experience. And that's it. Okay. That's the, that's the movie going experience in a nutshell is that, you are getting out of your life, okay? And you're going to live these people's lives on this screen. You're going to be taken away somewhere else, okay? 
for two hours and you're either going to laugh or applaud or cry or emote in so, or get angry in some manner, shape or form. That's what a movie does. And that's what it does when you're watching it with other community members. I mean, when somebody behind you starts laughing, you laugh too, okay? Even if you're embarrassed to laugh in a room of other people, well, you're gonna laugh. You're gonna, I mean, some of our greatest joys of, of running the theater, theaters was to hear people applaud at the end of a movie, okay? I mean, they would be applauding at the end of a movie or they would be laughing uproariously and we would know exactly at what point the movie was just based on the laughter or the applause or, or the reaction and it was great. This is the thing that, you know, so prior to COVID, you, could you talk a little bit about the damage streaming was doing to the theaters anyway? Right. It was. It was. It was. I mean, it, oh God. movie like 1917, oh. which right. was spectacular on the big screen in Bradley Beach. I mean, you couldn't imagine watching it anywhere else. And yet that movie wasn't nearly as as impressive because people didn't didn't come see it. They figured oh, I could see it on my my television screen. So, yeah, it was definitely undercutting a lot of uh, the movies that we thought would definitely bring people out. And it was because people have gotten lazy. It's so much easier to stay home and watch a movie. Well, plus the fact we I mean, we, we used to talk about, well, we still talk about the movie going experience, okay? Just like you said, Amy, uh, I mean, you would, you would go out and you would turn off, okay? And turn on to the movie, all right? So you'd forget about being deputy mayor for two hours, okay? Or at least try to. You would, you would try to enjoy this, this, this scene on a screen, okay? Well, the movie-going experience, we think, is generational, okay? So young people, are they don't understand the movie-going experience. To them, it's, uh, oh, let's, yeah, okay, fine, let's go out, but we're still tweeting and texting and Twittering and, you know. Bad every, sound? That's what they get on the small screen. You know, they get bad else. sound so and they don't care. It's a, unless it's a Marvel comic uh, movie, they they wouldn't understand coming to a good movie necessarily just to watch the good movie, okay? Just because it's the movie-going experience, you're going out, okay? The, the phrase, the, the saying of, you know, will movies die? Well, no, I mean, you know, I mean, people have kitchens in their house. That, does that mean that they don't go to restaurants? No, they have movies in their house now, too. It doesn't mean that they won't go to a movie, but it's a lot harder now because it's far more compelling to just say, ah, you know, it's raining out. I'll just watch this movie at home. And, I think and getting back to the generational part, I mean, when we were growing up, the big thing to do was go on a date uh, to the movies. Me too. I mean, Me too. My yeah. first kiss was in a movie. So that's what I'm saying. I mean, which movie? Was... <laughs> um, the spider movie. What was that? The the movie um, Arachnophobia. 
It's <laughs> <laughs> very romantic. Yeah, and it, it was also a boy, which was interesting, <laughs> I'm sure, for both of us at the time. Well, so, so I think, you know, that part of our mantra was always to always to try and keep the movie going experience alive, which is kind of what set us apart from you know chain theaters and, and other theaters because we always wanted to have our guests treated the way we would want to be treated. Okay. You know, ideal, ideal environment, dark space, you know, uh, comfortable talking to them, uh, joking, laughing, you know, that kind of thing. The biggest thanks we ever got was bringing people in their popcorn when it wasn't ready for them. Mm -hmm. And we would actually hand deliver it. And people were so appreciative. They got touched by the, you brought me the popcorn. It's like, well, yeah, you know, you're watching the movie now. And that, well, I remember Nancy, when you used to do little speeches before the movies, you used to come out those. and give us like a little we summary all, before the movie. Yeah, we all did. We Don't crinkle your paper, don't crinkle your candy wrappers before <laughs> opening your candy up before. We, we started that because we always, would make pitches to, to clients. So when we were in the storefront, Nancy and I would do it, but then it started getting uh, uh, harder for us to be there all the time and doing it all the time. So we told all the people we had, we worked with that they had to do it. Oh my God, you thought we told them that they had to jump off a cliff. It and, was, and I have to talk in front of these people. It's like, yeah, just, you know, make, you know, introduce yourself, say who you are, what you do, why you do it and talk about a little bit about the movie. And and they got so frightened. But we used to like doing that. We even did it the first couple of times when we opened Bradley. Bradley, It took everybody by surprise. It was like we would go down and we actually had to have a microphone because the room was so big. And we would start the movie with the two of us talking about why we opened it and what we hope to do here and what we did to renovate it and to get the smell out and all this other stuff. And they loved it. They thought it was great. And it. So speaking of that, let's talk a little bit about if you're, you know, so what's next for Mike and Nancy? Well, I think at the moment, we're just trying to expand what we have been doing um, with a little bit more involvement. I mean, as you know, we're on the Environmental Shade Tree Commission, so there's planting to be done, greening to be done. And I roped Mike into making a video of the 21 gardens that we have been maintaining and uh, we hope to play that on APTV and, and get some exposure for it for either fundraising or for, uh, you know, membership. recruitment, membership, um, promotion. Um, as I said, I joined the League of Women Voters to uh, up my civic involvement and get I'm a little the, bit more. Uh, Asbury Park Arts Council, uh, which we're um, uh, championing and advocating for uh, arts in the city uh, across all genres. Uh, I'm, I sit on the public art committee with uh, yours truly. And um, we, we're, we're hoping to take what we did in the community, for the community, with the community, with the theaters, 
um, and just use our other skills to um, promote, advertise, create, um, communicate, engage. Uh, we, we haven't mapped out a plan yet. Um, we're still embroiled in trying to get uh, buyers for the two theaters. So and if I had to ask, so related to that, so if, if a buyer, if you had your ideal buyer who would create the ideal space, what, what would that be? Well, the ideal buyer would be somebody to come in and run the theater. Make it a theater. You know, just keep it a theater. Keep it a theater. Because um, if they've got deep pockets and they're young enough, you know, in another year it will come back and we have proven that there is an audience We've proven that there's, you know, the ability to have some entertainment other than music and drinking in town. <laughs> so, you know, they could use it in a number of performance ways that work for us. You know, um, even if they just rented it out as a performance space, you, you've got a performing arts center there. As I've said, we could always have a visitor center for Asbury Park, which would be very nice to have as you walk okay. into town. And that would be wonderful. But it's got a variety of uses. I mean, we created it so that in Asbury anyway, it could be a number of things. Upstairs could be a, an apartment. Downstairs could be retail space. So, you know, the sky's the limit in what could be. Right. Unfortunately, you know, we've we're we're at the end of our ropes uh, uh, financially. So while it sounds easy to do, as far as well, just you know, hold out till the summer. <laughs> well, it's kind you've of you've already tough. held out nine months. Yeah, so you've already so, held out a year basically. Anyway, yeah. So we've pretty much held out, and we just can't hold out anymore. So. We have two what we consider valuable properties, uh, one in Asbury, one in Bradley, and uh, somebody cities. with some creativity uh, could come in and, and take them over. Both cities have, you know, bright futures. Bradley is definitely on the upswing, um, you know, with the fallout from people can't afford living in Asbury Park anymore. So Bradley Beach is becoming very, you know, desirable. And Asbury's just constantly turning over. So there's plenty of um, possibilities for things to happen. And there's developers who are, you know, making things happen. So somewhere along the line, it seems like there should be a match. It's just would be nicer sooner as opposed to later. I would be remiss if I didn't ask you both what your favorite movie was. <sighs> that, well, that face, Jesus. <laughs> I think 20 feet from stardom. It was it was kind of the the penultimate um, look behind the scenes. And we're kind of behind the scenes people. And it was music and it was the music that we grew up with. And uh, Darlene Love came and signed our poster. So we were very happy with that. That's a great movie. It is. A, it is. It's a fabulous movie. And um, we all we and this is last question. We talk about places or people who were in Asbury who are now gone. You have um, thoughts on that? I always say a guy named Jay Bernstein. I don't know if you remember him, but he was a real estate agent a long time ago. He fell off. And I'm doing quotes on that one. Uh, the, the roof of the Santander. People uh, who we don't know anymore. Well, Stephen Froyas. I mean, we miss him. He was yeah, uh, no, I miss him. I miss the guys from Munch. Ken. 
Yeah. They were, they, Munch was, we always, we always joke, Munch was our, uh, our cafeteria and meeting place. Everybody in the downtown, some point in the day, came through Munch. And um, it was a great, it was a great gathering place. Southwestern um, scramble. Nobody does one like that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Mike, I want to go back to what you said earlier. I'm thinking about the, the old Walter Reed Theater, which was next to the lanes, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was always an interesting fixture. Well, had, I mean, you know, there there were seven of them. Um, seven I mean, movie palaces. Seven movie theaters. Uh, and uh, yeah, and a couple of them were grand Radio City Music Hall palaces. I mean, I... I look at the, <laughs> I laugh because I look at the economics of movies today and how those kinds of buildings could never be put together today and, and be profitable. Um, the so, Mayfair had one of the first air-cooled theaters. Yeah. They mm -hmm. actually had a swimming pool of water and they, they used fans over the water to cool the air so that the air that came down into the theater was cooler than the air that, that was in the theater. And, and it was amazing. He and, built, and seven, yeah. I mean, seven in one town. He built, uh, <laughs> he built bridge. He built the bridge on the river Kwai over mm -hmm. Cookman Avenue. Because when they he premiered, the, premiered movie. the movie here. Wow. <laughs> I can't. Was a zoning yeah. book, you know, on that. I mean, he was a, he was a true showman um, and so. a true Asbury Park person. When they asked him to pay taxes, his back taxes on all the theaters, he said, "Screw you! I just knock them down." And he did. <laughs> <laughs> he knocked them down, so all he had to do was pay tax on the land. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah. All right, I'm going to wrap us up because we try to keep it to about an hour. Thank you both so much for coming on. Yes, thank um, you. Thanks for talking about the showroom and 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 what's next for you. And and I don't know what's I don't know that any of us. Well, hopefully we do know what's next for movie theaters. They'll be back in a year. Let's hope. Fingers crossed. Let's hope. We hope. Let's hope. And until then, um, we'll still be around. We'll be around and we'll be doing what we do. Thank you so much for uh, talking with us. Yeah, thank yeah, you. Thanks and thanks, so Shared Universe, as well. Thanks, Ming. Thank you guys for taping.